0: and i've seen this with you know guys i live in a in a really nice community where we have a you know a great sense of of um community spirit we all swim in the cold sea all year round but i see young guys struggling with masculinity in their early 30s late 20s and because it becomes slightly polarized i've seen them then move to this point where they go off and seek like some kind of extreme level of, of masculinity because they're trying to identify with what does this all mean and i think we we need to cultivate this idea of you know the balance of the sexes you know it's it's okay to be masculine it's okay to be feminine too you know let's let's just yeah. let's just create and cultivate this sense of equilibrium around it because if we if we if we try and feminize men too much the the danger is that they come back later on too masculine and and, and that's not great
1: life is going to give you challenges struggles it's going to force you to face your fears even though these may feel like your worst enemy in truth these are actually your greatest allies my name is lance icos welcome to the university of adversity what's up everybody welcome back to university of adversity if you guys don't know me my name is lance esios and if this is your first time here welcome to the family regular listeners welcome back wherever you're listening please subscribe or follow the channel if you're on spotify follow if you're on apple subscribe and if you're on youtube please subscribe you stay on top of the episodes and they're automatically um, downloaded into your platform so today's episode you guys are in for a roller coaster ride We go super deep and we talk about some really cool things involving transformation. My next guest's name is Justin Caffrey. He is a former hedge fund manager who lost his son nine years ago and is now committed to changing his life and getting off the hamster wheel of corporate life, which was rapidly derailing him. We unpack a lot of things on paper, how well he was doing in the corporate world, like how great it was, but really how unfulfilling it was. We talk about that but now he combines his life with the ethical investing advising and a daily practice of cold water immersion, meditation, and plant li- and plant-based living which has helped him on the road to where he is today. In essence, he is now living his life on purpose and is also recognized as a thought leader in mindfulness, resilience, and well-being and having delivered programs to over 100 corporate clients. So we go deep here. Justin goes into his story about what led to losing his son, what happened after, and the incredible deep transformation that came from that and how he used Eastern medicine and Eastern philosophy to really help rapidly change who he is then into who he is today. So buckle up, we go deep, much love guys. Enjoy the episode. We got Justin Caffrey coming right up.
0: Justin, how you doing, man? Hey Lance, how's it going? So good
1: great to meet you
0: yeah you too you too thanks for having me on it's a it's a real it's a real privilege i've been catching up on some of your stuff and getting your backstory and um wow
1: yeah likewise. heartbreaking
0: um compelling and inspiring so
1: yeah man you you're you as well like it's that's why this is just so incredible to be able to come together and uh and share these kind of stories right and um, I was talking about this actually yesterday with somebody, and you know, when you hear other people's stories, and then you know we we compare our stories, and you realize you're you realize you're not alone, you know, with the stuff like so many people are going through or have been through such incredible you know adversity, and yeah. I think a lot of times we feel like we're the only one going through it, and it's nice to know that so many people are going through it as well you know we're not alone in this
0: <laughs> yeah i i think that's that's huge and i also think it's you know it's one of the great challenges of of people struggling with mental illness and you know your 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 brother is is an in case in point is that that often at that point they feel like they are the only person in the world who's ever felt like this before and they're so alien to everybody else that nobody will understand. And it's, it's only the, pa- the power of human compassion to, to speak out about, you know, we're all bleeding. Everybody is hurting. And once we share that, then we possibly save some people's lives by just reaching out and asking for help.
1: Yeah, the sharing of it is so important. And I think that is really where the healing all begins. It's being able to share it to kind yeah. of air it out a bit right and yeah uh it doesn't have the power over you that it would if you just hold it in and you know conditioning in our society we're told to just hold things in right in the past growing up it's like hold that in that's what strength is
0: yeah you know like man up right you know yeah. that's the that's the big one and and you know i think it's like i think there's <laughs> It's a challenge, right? Because as an entrepreneur and somebody who has built stuff and, you know, being successful and all that kind of stuff, there is a place for that sense of resilience and determination that you have to kind of push through a lot of stuff to get where you want to go to. Yeah. But we must not mix that up with the difference between I do not feel mentally well and man-up. You know, that's a gray area, and I think kids – don't get that. You know, it's, it's, we need to, we need strong people, um, you know, who, who can lead younger people into believing that it's okay to talk about how you feel. Um, you know, I've got a 13 year old son and we talk all the time at home and, and, um, you know, I want him to have that sense of understanding and and ability to communicate. Um, but it's not easy because the flip side is all they hear about is in, in sport, especially, um you know suck it up get on with it
1: <laughs> yeah you're right i think it's i've i've thought about this and i've gone back and forth with it too especially in sports it's like you need a certain amount of what i want to say like mental toughness like obviously you got to be resilient and you can't you know you have to be you have to be mentally tough you have to be strong and but at the same time i think there's too much of that overly, overly masculine, you know, alpha male sort of attitude where that's actually showing a lot of weakness. Like I feel like I, and I didn't understand that growing up and it's only the, been since I've been on this journey the last few years that how important that is to actually, um, to, to be able to control that and to be able to understand that overcompensating like that and, and, and having to say how strong you are, how great you are, or bring other people down is like, it doesn't actually make you look, it doesn't actually make you stronger. And just, I remember in sports, it was always, that was always the feeling. And I think you need a certain amount of something like that, but you also need to be able to express yourself to your teammates and your, your brotherhood or whatever you're playing as, as to like open up. And I don't think there's enough of that in sports, like you see a lot of men's groups now, conscious men's groups and brotherhoods, and all this kind of stuff, and women have it too, which is really great because they're opening it up to have healthy masculinity. But I would love to see that tied together more into sports, you know, to have that healthy yeah. masculine um, um, manhood started at a younger age.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the challenges is when when that isn't opened up and i've seen this with you know guys i live in a in a really nice community where we have a you know a great sense of of um community spirit we all swim in the cold sea all year round but i see young guys struggling with masculinity in their early 30s late 20s and because it becomes slightly polarized i've seen them then move to this point where they go off and seek like some kind of extreme level of, of masculinity because they're trying to identify what does this all mean and I think we we need to cultivate this idea of you know the balance of the sexes you know it's it's okay to be masculine it's okay to be feminine too you know let's let's just yeah. let's just cr- create and cultivate this sense of equilibrium around it because if we if we if we try and feminize men too much, the the danger is that they come back later on too masculine and and, and that's not great.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's such an interesting conversation. Um and it things have sure shifted over the years. Like lately I've noticed it as well. Maybe it's because I'm exploring this more, but this isn't something that I would have talked about <laughs> a few years ago. <laughs> I
0: would have been like what no, are you that's talking that's why that? that's why it's important.
1: Yeah. So what what I I I would love to discuss as well is you know obviously you've had quite the transformation. It's incredible, and (laughs) the different the different lifestyles and the things you've had to go through in order to get to where you are today. But I would love if you could, for the people first learning about you now, first time, I would love if we could start kind of before you know take us back a little bit, start as early as you feel is necessary. At kind of walking us through your story and give us some insight into kind of the before the transformation
0: happened. Sure. So I I, I grew up uh, in in Ireland. Um, so I grew up in, in in Dublin. You know we were we were certainly not in any way wealthy. Um, so you know it was a pretty um, basic uh, working class environment in in Ireland. Um, I went to some some pretty rough schools, um, grew up in a tough neighborhood. And as growing up, my my old man was uh, struggling a lot with mental health. And I grew up with a t- at a time when he was institutionalized, at, when I was like 11, 12 years of age. And that was back in, that would have been the 80s. And you know, nobody told me about it. My mom tried to hide it from me. I had older siblings, but they were like 15 to 20 years older than me. So I, I was very much isolated and unsure about what was going on. And I learned then at like 15, 16, that, that my dad was, was suicidal um, and, and a lot of mental health issues going on. And I had a really challenging relationship with both my parents due to this. And, and my dad was pretty much absent throughout my childhood and when he was, you know, available after work, he'd go to bed, he just couldn't cope with life full stop. He was heavily medicated, he had electric shock treatment. So, you name it, it was, it was kind of going on. And my mom, you know, is, is an incredible human being who was trying to hold everything together at the same time and, and try and make life as normal as possible. But, you know, unsurprisingly, that isn't really, really ever, ever going to work out like that. So, I, I was struggling in school. At that stage. And, and I think it's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a valuable thing to recognize that kids who have challenges going on at home will generally be acting out in some way, shape or form in school. And for me, I was struggling academically. I had dyslexia, which hadn't been diagnosed at that stage anyway, but I also just was not there. I was not able to pay attention. I had no direction. I had no compass at all. I got a, I got an opportunity when I when I finished school to to go and study computer science because I've been writing code since I was a kid so I was I was in trouble I was you know drinking alcohol at a, a young age involved in all the kind of stuff that you would not want your kids to be involved in um but I got an opportunity to study computer science um and I went there but I was only a few months in got an opportunity to to go and work in a bank dropped out of university and um got a transfer to London at 19. So I think I always knew I wanted to get away from everything that I'd grown up around. And I wanted to escape my environment, my parents. But I also wanted to really escape me. I didn't like who, who I was or, or what I was becoming. And when the opportunity presented itself, I took it and I left. And I think I was only reflecting on this the other day. London gave me an opportunity to just reinvent myself um, because nobody knew where I was from. You know, In the UK, it's a very much class-orientated system and society, but you arrive over there with an Irish accent, they can't place you, they can't say, oh, you went to this school or that university. So all of a sudden, I've got a blank sheet of paper. Um, and I think, all right, I'm going to create something that's you know, completely different to where I've come from and I knew I had this desire to be a very determined person. And I'd, I'd actually built a couple of businesses in my teenage years. I'd started making money when I was a kid. Um, so London, working in banking, presented opportunities to me. And I had a really great career Um, I, in, in the space of four years. I had a couple of promotions. Nobody really knew how old I was. I had a bit of gray hair even in my early 20s. So it gave me a, a capacity to kind of Slip away unnoticed in the context of, of uh, in kind of age discrimination. So by like twenty twenty one, um, I bought my first apartment um, in London. I had a lot of money, um, a lot of success. My ego was colossal, um, and uh, by the time I was twenty three, the uh, the CEO of the bank told me, "Look, you know, you've had too many promotions." You got to accept it, kid. That you know you're not going to go anywhere for a while now because you know you are too young and you've moved too quickly. And yeah, yada yeah. Yada, yada. And of course, my ego was like, whatever, I'm out of here. So I jacked it in um, and set up my own business. So that was that was a real helter skelter ride because I, I, you know, it was it was a highly emotive moment to quit. Um, and then all of a sudden, you kind of sober up two days later, and you think, oh my god. Um where do I go from here? So uh, I went into business with a pal of mine, and uh, we built a company then um with three of us at the start, and we built a company over over the next um seven or eight years, which which was huge we were We were one of the biggest providers of financial services in the u k. We had two hundred and fifty um people. we had various companies that we either built or acquired and um you know we we were kind of masters of our universe, filled with ego um we moved into uh, the horse racing world we were we were running um our own horses at royal Ascot with the queen with um sheikh Mohammed. um it wow. was it was mental wow. kind of it kind of paints a bit of a picture there but but all of a sudden, I come from you know near abject poverty to this situation where you know we're at the biggest horse racing events in the world and um, we're we're running a business in the UK we're making um, you know obscene am- amounts of money and all the things that I thought I needed to get because of how I grew up and I thought this is how I'm going to feel happy but of course you know you don't you, you there's still always a hole left in your heart and and you know you don't really know how to fill it and it's always that when I get this next thing, I'll be there. But um, but that just didn't really happen. That wasn't happening back then at all.
1: Yeah, I think, well, I mean, to be successful in a place like London, I mean, you've pretty much made it, right? <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's pretty, yeah. And I mean, the ego has got to be massive at that point. Because, you know, when you grow up with, with, with very little, And then you get some, you get it at that young age. I mean, you do, all you want to do is spend it, right? Like you just want to, you want to just have all the things that you didn't have growing up. And, and you realize though, that that's, you're just filling a void. You're trying to fill a void. And so many people do that. And so many people, it's like, we ignore the, we ignore like that, that feeling inside of us that wants to do more, but we don't really know what that is. We just try and drown it with stuff.
0: Yeah. And and also, I think that at that point, you know, and in many ways, look, as entrepreneurs, you often feel that rules are really for everybody else, right? So you're, you're constantly willing to push boundaries at all points. But I always remember a really telling point of my behavior was that it's probably, I don't know, I think it was maybe 24, 25, um, and, and I was done for, for drink driving. Um, I, was only, I was only marginally over the limit at the time. But I think in many ways, you know, the universe is often trying to, you know, give you a, a kick in the pants or, or likely a punch in the head, right, to mm-hmm. say, pay attention to your behavior and what's going on. And I remember um, you know having this this situation and and you know the the in, in the u k especially drink driving offense is is the first um, rung on like a criminal record so you know you 're fingerprinted they take your DNA, you 've got a pretty horrible day in court um, and, I, and i was I was in court and, and i remember the, the the two cops that that stopped me at the time, one of them actually wrote to the court and said, look, you know, this guy was one of the most best behaved people we've ever had to um, arrest where we had suspicion of, of alcohol. He was only marginally over the limit. We asked for the court to be lenient and all that kind of good stuff. And I'm sitting there going, okay, that's great. But it's, it's a mandatory one year ban in the UK. So I'm banned from driving for a year. Wow. I've got a big fine. It's, it's hugely um, difficult and, and you know, it should be embarrassing as well. But, Instead of, instead of you know, having to struggle, you know, my, at that stage, my, my 911 Porsche is in the garage underneath my apartment, and I've got a driver driving me around for a year. So it's, there was times in my life when I needed to really get hold of what was going on, and I needed to take you know, a stance to understand that you, know, you cannot just continue to defy everything and believe that you will always get away with it. And I think that was a great moment when I look back and think, why couldn't I be more humble and really take stock of what is it like to be drinking too much? You know, t- think about what's going on. I wasn't, I wasn't drinking every day because I was really focused on my work and I was, I was a workaholic completely during the week. But then I'd have a blowout at the weekend. And I think for all of us when we're going through life, there's always signs to tell you that your behavior is not great and you should be paying attention. And if you don't, some other stuff is going to happen later on that's going to even be worse than those events that initially come along.
1: Yeah. The nudges, the, the things that, that, uh, that come at us that people don't, don't realize that those are the things, those are the signs telling us, but we just ignore them and they just get the, the noise, the knock keeps getting louder and louder and louder until something really bad happens. Right. And and I can relate, you know, in that environment of drinking and, and toxic lifestyle. It's just like your body is giving you signs all the time too. <laughs> you know, like making stupid decisions that can affect your life. And, you know, until you ask yourself, like, like, what am I actually doing here? Like, why am I doing this? Right? Like there's, and some people have to learn the hard way. You know, like some people do it once and end up, you know, in a bad accident. And, and some people end up dying or whatever, and then some people get away with it. It's, it's crazy, you know. And like, I look back in my life and I'm like, man, I'm so lucky. Like, I'm lucky I'm alive because I've done so much stupid shit in those moments that I just, you know, thank God, thank the universe, whatever you want to call it, that I'm alive. And, you know, those are the, and, and, and to be able to look back and just have that as a lesson, you know, some people don't get that opportunity right some people don't get to see that and and they just constantly ignore these things until it's too late
0: yeah so much and and you know there's there's so much i can be thankful for in my life but i think to look back at my younger self lots of times i could have had opportunities to pivot and think differently and you know you get away with stuff and you and you keep going and you often then start to believe you know your own publicity right you know my my well, you know what, don't stink here. I'm, I'm, you know, infallible and nothing is ever going to happen that's going to knock me off sync because everything is going so well. And of course, the irony is that I'd run away from so much as, as, you know, a 19 year old. And then I developed this whole new world that I thought, you know, I have curated this life for myself and it will be as I want it to be. So you, you really start to buy into that whole idea. Um, and you know by by the time you know the financial crisis um started i i 'd exited my business i was I got married so i I found you know my wife the love of my life in in two thousand and five and and she was definitely the start of you know giving me a kick in the ass like she didn 't even like me when i met met her first and that was that was a really great way to be because I needed to be dealt with with like you know all the subtlety of a baseball bat in the face back then. Um, so she certainly had that capacity. Uh, that was a great move. And we were in love and we were married within six months of meeting each other. And I'd never really even been in particularly long, serious relationships at all. Work was was my focus all the way through my 20s. and uh, And then in 2007, we had our first son, Luca and and that was also a great moment um of celebration but then challenge you know we discovered that luca had cleft lip and palate we we had some scans um and that was our first moment of having to deal with challenge in in parenthood um and being in a in a in a private hospital in london and they were talking to us about the fact that you know termination is possible when when you know kids have have challenges, and and we're like, well, what kind of challenge do they have? And then they they scanned him, and they went, oh well, you know, it's it's cleft lip and palate. And we were like, wow, that's you know, we're we're very happy with that. You know, we we're we're gonna we're gonna love him no matter what. But it meant we 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 set off on this journey with Luca to to um, have uh, multiple operations. So in the first year of his life, he had he had three major surgeries um and that's kind of a challenge as a parent you know that's that's your first step into into parenthood and and you know look as we'll talk but we had many more thereafter but but that that was really for me a moment where i started to shift this idea to i can't control events life is just happening to me now
1: yeah it's such a you know i'm i'm not a parent but i you know a lot of my friends and you know people that i know are and i I can only imagine, you know, what kind of position you would be in, especially when you just have a child and you're still new parents. You still don't know know how the whole st- how the whole thing works yet. Never mind dealing with, you know, challenges like that. And I mean, I don't even like what's. No one really knows the right or wrong way to even react to that, right? Because we're immediately. You know, we wanna we wanna protect them, but it's out of our control.
0: Totally, and and but it was also a great moment for me to realize that my life partner was as grounded as I was in the context of okay, here's the challenge, we're cool with it. You know, let's work our way through this. In in, in the first three months of his life, we had his first surgery, and we had to wait around while he was while he was in surgery for for a couple of hours, and. And then he had another two um, surgeries over the next eighteen months, and and these challenges were we were meeting head on. We were we were staying calm. Um, we were staying together. And we had a lot of love in our relationship, and and that was really positive. Um, but during this time, I was I was still um, CEO of 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 my business, um, and 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 you know we're, we were still still very much focused on work, but I was starting to realize that there was something a whole lot more important than this. And then when I got an opportunity to sell out of the company, Luca was still was still quite young, but we'd decided that we wanted to have a second child. So we, we started working towards that, but we ended up with um, four miscarriages after Luca um, and pretty stressful environments, especially for, for my wife. Um, and And it was hard for us generally to try and Work towards a second child. It wasn't working out, um, and we we came to a point of sitting down one day and, and having a, a you know a tough conversation around the fact that maybe we just need to stop. Um, and my wife's health was was being brought into question as well. So maybe we just need to be happy with what we have and just take it as a sign that you know we can't have more children so we literally at that moment I remember having having lunch together um in a restaurant and and saying okay look we've tried our best but let's just let's just be very happy with what we have we have a, a healthy beautiful boy let's let's stick with that um but little did we know that Beatrice was actually pregnant at that moment when we decided that we were going to stop
1: wow so what were, you, what were you going to do differently? Like, what was your plans moving forward? And when you found that out, like, what was going through your mind? Because that's such an emotional roller coaster. Because you decide something, and then all of a sudden, you're surprised again.
0: Yeah, I think, I think looking back, the, the, the trauma of the miscarriages was, it was huge. Um, you know it really was, it was a lot going on, and I probably wasn 't even paying enough attention to all of that at the time because I was super busy um running my business, but I really got a sense of the fact that you know there was there was more to our life and our relationship than than this constant pursuit of 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 having you know two kids, so when we came to the decision of of not trying anymore, it was also a relief you know it 's like everything yeah. We all carry around these huge desires about what we want to do, but eventually when we let go of them, we can often feel a huge sense of relief so it was It was definitely a sense of relief and then when when we discovered that that she was actually pregnant only a couple of weeks later um I probably would say there was there was a you know a huge sense of of anxiety around that because could we go again um and um, you know the challenges that we faced before. But, um, but, but this time the, the, the pregnancy seemed to be going okay. Um, the 10 week scan was good. Um, the 20 week scan was good. And, um, and we thought, okay, maybe this is really going to work for us. And we came to 20, 26 weeks and we decided that we take a uh, vacation. The three of us just before we we'd get ready to, to, to hunker down for the second child. So we, we went across to Spain. We were from London. Um, and we thought we'd have a week in Spain, taking a bit of sun. It was January, you know, it's, it's like, you know, in, in Canada in January, London in January, right? It's just, it's just not the, not the nicest place. So you go South and you get a little bit of sun and you get a bit of a different environment. So that was the plan. Um, and, uh, and, and, so we set off to Spain, just hoping to be there for a week. And while we were there, while we were in Spain, I think maybe three days in at, You know, three o'clock in the morning, Beatrice woke me up and um, we were were staying in a a villa and said, uh, you know, my waters are broken. And I'll I'll never forget that moment because it made absolutely no sense because I thought your waters can't have broken because you're just coming up to, to six months pregnant. It's just not possible. And then the reality of that suddenly sunk in. And then, of course, you know, you're on vacation, right? But then all of a sudden you have to think, well, actually, where are we? You know, where are we in relation to... Cities and and hospitals and and you know we don't even speak Spanish um so so our, our world you know really completely turned upside down um, and uh, you know that was that was January 2010 um, and uh, what unfolded um, thereafter was you know a real tsunami so we'd, we'd had challenges on the way up through our our first child through Luca, and then the miscarriages. Um, but but this was this was a whole new ball game. Hmm.
1: Wow. Well, so after that, walk us through. Like this, I just I just feel like I, the amount of challenge that you go through and what you're telling us is just like it's mind blowing. Because when it comes to your 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 child, it's just a whole other it's a whole other form of, 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 over, of adversity to overcome because it's, it's beside, it's not yourself anymore. Like it's another human that you've brought into the world. And I just, I can't even imagine. It's hard for me to put myself in that, in that position, you know, because I've never, I don't have a child, but like, like, what did you, what were you learning from that? Like, what, what can you, looking back now, you know, how were you changing? Like, what were you learning in your life? And like, how are, you, how are you moving forward through that? What are some things that you were doing?
0: Well, I remember, I remember the night before we had, uh, we had dinner in a, in a restaurant. We were sitting in this, this beautiful um, square in this little town in Spain. Luca was playing beside us. He was, he was three at the time. Um, Beatrice was, was pregnant at that stage. We were even thinking about buying a buying a place in Spain at that moment, and thinking, well, we could you know, we could spend half our life here, or half our, half our life in the UK, and um, and we I can't remember which one of us said it, but one of us said it to the other one, you know, life is so great at the moment, you know, it's just everything that you want it to be, and I think it's those are the kind of words that you just should not utter, you know, it's just be thankful for what's mm-hmm. going on in the moment, but don't just believe that you know you've you've hit that panacea. And I think the the nature of the challenges that we had through through you know the the initial um, issues with Luca with cleft lip and palate and then the the miscarriages and now this with with Joshua, um, I was I was uh, very much starting to question how how I was going to be you know could I cope with all this because I'd led right. this really charmed life all the way through my twenties where you know it was it was you know. The perfect kind of bachelor, playboy life—it was great. And now, all of a sudden, I'm in the middle of this storm, and we're—you know—we're we're stuck in Spain. We know nobody. We're, we're on vacation for a week, um, and, and we have to try and find a maternity hospital. I mean, that was 180, 190 kilometers from where we were. So we're, we're, we're panicking, but we're trying to figure out how do we stay calm. How do we keep a, a three-year-old in good shape? And I think the good thing is that. You know, I'd I'd, I'd managed businesses and companies and private equity transactions, and I'd been in all kinds of chaos from a business standpoint over the years in in my career that I was able to adapt to this being a crisis. And my my wife, Beatrice, is is hugely level-headed as well. So we were able to keep keep our cool and eventually get to a hospital. And then once we got to a hospital... They checked her, they could see that, yes, the waters had broken. And they said, look, you know, we, we, we can stabilize, hopefully, her and the baby, but you guys aren't going anywhere. Um, and, and they went, like, not at all until this baby arrives. You know, she can't even fly. And what we have to try and desperately do now is prolong labor as much as possible so that we can try and hopefully get the lungs into good enough shape before this baby is delivered. Um, and uh, so our life was on hold we're in Malaga then in 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 the south of Spain um and, and we've got to live there until we figure out what happens next mm.
1: so yeah i've been i've been there so was it how hard was it with the language barrier with people speaking like how that must have been very very
0: challenging oh man it was it was so hard i mean it was my wife is german and she speaks french and um english superbly well she speaks a bit of italian so she she could kind of muster her way through a little bit. You know, when you're when you're an English speaker, you kind of take it for granted that everybody's going to figure oh, out totally. how to deal with you. So I was I was screwed. <laughs>
1: that's the way it is. That's what I I tell people as well like when you go travel, if you haven't traveled overseas or to countries that don't speak English, that's when you really realize you go, "Oh shit, okay. I really appreciate being able to communicate with people and people that speak my language. And it just makes us, it made me feel so ignorant when I went to, when I went to Europe, especially because everybody could speak like six languages.
0: And I'm like, I can only speak English. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, but The yeah. Irish and English, we're the same, right? We, totally. we don't speak languages. Yeah, totally. But the rest of Europe. Yeah. They're, they're fantastic.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? It's yeah. amazing how, yeah.
0: how, how different that is.
1: So, okay. You're in Spain. Walk us through this. And I, I, um, I want, I would love to get to the point where you were just to the point where you things, you completely changed your direction. Like how, how much further along and walk us through the path from where you are now to there and kind of some of the things that were brewing through your mind about, about everything in your life. And because you're starting to get these feelings of, they're starting to surface, you're probably thinking is what i am doing really what I want to be doing like walk us through your thought process a little bit of the next little while
0: sure um so yeah, so we' we're we're, we're we're stuck in spain um they they'd hope to to kind of keep her keep her in 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 as good a shape as possible, but it didn't happen and and within a couple of weeks, um, Beatrice started bleeding they had to perform an emergency caesarean, um, which was completely chaotic and not having the language I lost her in the hospital for hours. and Nobody could, you could even tell me where she was or understand what was going on or who, who I was. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was, it was like your worst nightmare coming to, to life. And, um, and then, um, our son Joshua was, was, um, delivered by emergency caesarean. Um, he was, he was tiny. I mean, literally he could, he could just fit into the, yeah. the center of my palm. You know, he was, he was um, weighing less than a kilo um, I, because I've lived with a German for so long now. I'm, I'm kind of not in the imperial system anymore, but he was, he was tiny and he was given no hope at birth. Um, and, and they kind of said to us, look, you know, if he makes it 24 hours or 48 hours, that'd be, that be a miracle. Um, but he did, and you know he made it um, for for you know three days, four days, five days, and then he started to think okay there's there's hope here and um, and he survived and he stayed in neonatal intensive care for six months, um, so we had to we had to give up our life um, and live in Spain and and we moved around different houses because we were trying to figure out how do we get somebody to take care of Luca because we need to keep life balanced for him. Um, one of us had to be in hospital every day, so we were swapping time so that both of us would be with each one of our children to try and keep some balance in our life. Luca couldn't see his brother because it was a neonatal intensive care unit, so that wasn't possible. Um, so that, that journey was unbelievably intense, um, and I was probably coming close to to my faith at that time and, and, and thinking about what was going on there. Um, I was brought up as a Catholic. Um, so mm-hmm. I always remember having daily conversations with, with God saying, Look, you know, if you get us through this, I'll I'll do whatever you want. Um, and you and you, you know, you go to whatever level you need to to try and get through this. But it was hugely challenging. There was days when I would be lying on the floor in the shower, crying my eyes out, and and Beatrice would step up and take control of the situation and, and be the strong parent and then there would be days when she's lying on the floor crying her eyes out too. So that was all really tough um and and then that culminated at a point where after six months we got joshua out of neonatal intensive care we got him into our care and we became his carers provided we could live within two kilometers of the hospital and it started to look like we were going to him be able to transport him back out of spain and we kind of got all all of the, the the ducks in a row to do that but he was tube fed he was oxygen dependent he had to come back by air ambulance um, and, um, but we were ready to do whatever we had to do. And, uh, and then on Christmas, Christmas, uh, Eve in, uh, in 2010, um, in our care, he started to struggle really badly against, so we would have his oxygen at home and we were sustaining a lot of his medical issues. We couldn't keep him in good shape. We brought him into back to the maternity hospital, um, and, uh, and they, they had to put him back on life support which was the fourth time he'd been on life support and after they put him back on the medical team who were there said look you know it's christmas eve we don't know you guys if your normal medical team were here they would have actually not um proceeded with um putting him back on on life support because the fourth time around it's just not it's not viable his life is not going to be able to be sustained like this we know your story we know you guys have, have, have been here in Spain, you're stuck here, and we know how much you've tried to try and get through this and to keep your son alive, but it's going to have to stop now. Um, so we, we had to kind of give up on Joshua, which was, which was hugely challenging. Um, and uh, we, we then fought a battle over the next few days to get him back into our care because we wanted to, to have the palliative care in our control. He'd been hospitalized so many times in his life. So we got him released into our care and he lived for another two weeks, which was really nice because we got him at home. He, he'd ne- we'd never even seen him without um, tape across his face, holding all those tubes in place and everything else. We got to take the tape off. We got to see him for who he was. We got to turn off the heart monitors, all the things that were there to try and keep him alive. And, and we had a beautiful two weeks together as a family. My parents were there. Um, Beatrice's mom was there and um and he died with us um, peacefully at home um and it was a really nice way to end a hugely stressful period um and um you know it was when i look back on it it was a great it was a great period of our life but i suppose for me a lot of the big challenges arrived thereafter because we were incredibly mindful of each other during that period of time. We were close as a family. We spent so much time together. We were always bit one of our children every day, you know, work and all that kind of stuff took a back seat for that year. Um, so when, after we had Joshua's funeral, um, within like, I think maybe 10 days, I, I started to set up a new company. I was, you know, petitioning shareholders, looking at people to, to come on my board, and I really wanted to kind of flex my, my business muscles and kind of show everybody, you know what? I've been through this really tough challenge, but I'm back. Um, and I'm, I'm coming at it stronger than ever. And I'm going to build something great. Um, and, and, you know, within weeks of, of his death, I'm flying around the world and, and life is full on again, which is just not the way that you need to grieve. Because you
1: were probably just trying to, just trying to, mask the pain a little bit right and 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 just kind of avoid dealing with the root of it probably i would think
0: totally I i mean it's it's
1: it's easy to stay busy and not think about and not you know face the shadow which you know is there which the dark side which losing somebody i mean there's no rule book on how to grieve sometimes people people get busy in work or whatever toxic habits. Yes.
0: Yeah, totally. And my toxic habit was work. You know, I, yeah. I was a workaholic and so I just, you know, it was like take the needle and stick it back in the arm. Um mm. and I did and and at the same time my wife was was walking every day with our golden retriever in the mountains and just coming to terms with the loss of of a child. But but I ended up kind of burying it and you and you forced this traumatic memory into the back of the mind and i've gone on to study so much of the neuroscience and it's interesting because you know we see these events as binary and the the mind registers them and it says you know is this a threat to life or is it okay Mm. once it goes it's a threat to life as in a a threat to your homeostasis it it fires it into the back of of this kind of suppressed um uh, traumatic memory so the only time i'd ever really challenge with it was I always remember like when the planes are taken off and landing and you're not allowed to wear headphones you're not to look at your phone you're not allowed to do anything I would literally have flashbacks of Joshua's death and the reality of losing a child right at those moments Mm. and 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 then all the other time I would just try and escape it and and you know before you know where you are as the months roll on alcohol was helping me escape work was helping me escape it's just, it's just a toxic sense of, of, of behavior. Um, and, and it all had to come to a head. Um, and and also behaviors that were not in great shape prior to becoming a father were now back into, into, you know, full tilt again. Um, and, and I was, I was running the risk of, of ending up being a, you know, a bad father and not being around for, for my kids. Um, so yeah. So within two, two years of that, I just started to to feel unwell, and um, not not consciously aware of it. Um, but I remember being in a in a really important meeting. We had some clients over from from um, Dubai and the US. I'm closing a deal, and I'm sitting there, and there's a bunch of people sitting around our boardroom. And I started to think I'm I'm having like a heart attack or a stroke. Um, I don't really know which it is, and I'm I'm kind of feeling my heart, and then feeling a pulse in my neck but also conscious that I need to get what's in front of me out of the way. And I thought, well, I don't think it's like a full heart attack or a full stroke because all that had happened so far was my periphery vision had turned off. I could feel kind of cold sweats and my heart felt like it was going to pop out of my mouth. But I thought I can still get through this deal and get this done and then I'll figure out what's wrong with me. So I went on for like another 45 minutes with something that was probably at that moment in time going to kill me if it had to be what I thought it was. But of course, as it transpired later on, it was it was an anxiety attack. It was a panic attack. Um, but uh, like, it's just scary. that just sums up how stupid my behavior was. Though, that I actually thought, well, I will just push through it, no matter what it is. I'm just going to push through it, and let's get this done.
1: Anxiety attacks are scary, especially if you've had the first time you have one. If you've never had one and it comes up, I remember I had one and I had no idea what it was. You you feel like your heart your heart is going like a heart attack. You feel like you're going to pass out. You feel like you're going to die. <laughs> like it's crazy. It's crazy. And like, I had never thought I've even, I didn't even know what anxiety was until I had that. And then after I was like, I get it now. And, and that has been embedded in my brain too over the years is that, that feeling and that, yeah, that anxiety is scary stuff when it hits you like that. <laughs> like it's,
0: yeah, it it's is a
1: real shocker. Cause you don't know what it is until you feel something you don't know what it is you hear the buzzwords like i i don't know about you but like did you did you have anxiety before that or was that sort of like something that sort of was like kind of everything crashing down on you at one time i think,
0: I think maybe in in the kind of weeks leading up to it i'd started to feel it but i mm-hmm. hadn't really been able to articulate what it was yeah um but not not at any great shakes at all. Um, and, and then all of a sudden this was full on. But it's it's always interesting, you know. It's it's something that I've always looked back at with great interest because mm-hmm. most people when they get anxiety attacks are able to talk to people or you know, seek help or do something about it, right? And think, oh, I need to research this. I'm in like this really important meeting. So I actually just stayed with it. And it and it 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 was a great lesson that I could revert back to you later on, and that is you know, if you just really lean into your anxiety and just push through it, you will come out the other side. Um, and that's actually what happened that day. I'm not advocating that that's the the policy that people should take, but it also showed me that you know this thing can't actually kill you, but it is desperately unpleasant. Um, and uh, so yeah, really in 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 the kind of weeks afterwards, I, I knew I needed to get help. Um, and and I was very becoming very self-aware of the fact that I'd grown up with, with you know, my own um, father and all his struggles um, with his mental health. And I didn't want to be that kind of dad to to my other son. So um, so I needed to get help. Um, I'd spoken to my wife about it, which is so important. Like when people are facing challenges, you've got to speak to, you know, your nearest and dearest or your friends. or Or if you don't have the capacity to do that, just go and get help. Don't hold on to stuff because you think... Nobody else understands. Um, so i literally started to to um, to find some help. I didn't want to go medicated because my old man had been medicated heavily all the way through his life. So I wanted to try and find some alternative therapies. I'd found a, um, a psychologist in New York who was quite famous for working on on this, and I was getting ready to 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 get out there and meet him. And then I discovered um, an Indian psychologist working in Ireland who basically offered the same the same system. Um, and I had a call with him and, um, I was going to start working with him. And I remember, uh, it was, it was a Sunday after I started um, this call with him and it was a Sunday morning. I was sitting at the, at the, um, kitchen table in our house. And, you know, away from like the challenges that were going on in my head, we had all the things that everybody would want and think that makes them happy. But I started to feel really, really miserable. And then all of a sudden this deep desire to just escape it all. And and suicide started to really rear its head as, you know, I'd had flushes and flashes of it in, in my mind in, in, the, in the weeks and probably two months leading up to this. But then I really started to have this sense of everybody would just be so better without me. I'm actually the problem in, in, in all of this. And, you know, my son will find a better father and my wife will find... A better husband, and and I would be able to turn off the noise because at this point the 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 voices in my head, the negativity was just relentless. Um, so much so that I had this um like they call them boom headaches, where you actually wake up and it sounds like a sonic boom goes off in your head. Wow. And uh, and because of the intensity of 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 the self talk, the negative self talk, so it really come to that point where I thought. I just, I just want to check out, I have to get away from all of this. And, um, I had, uh, the sense to, to text, um, my psychologist and tell him this. And, uh, and he said to me, okay, he said, don't do anything between now and tomorrow morning, get to my office. We're going to start working straight away. Um, and, 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 you know, ultimately he saved my life because it was, it was a pretty, pretty horrendously dark moment. And, you know, Lance, I know you've, you've had your challenges with suicide too. And it's, it's nonsensical, um, but it's the, 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 the moment of um, the moment of, of the decision or the opportunity to to find somebody to seek help, how, do you, how does that happen? How did I decide to ha- at that moment to try and get help? And, and if I didn't have two days previously time with um, Dr. Chatter, would I have reached out to him? I couldn't talk to my wife about it. Because it just feels so horrible to tell people that you think they're better off without you, um, it's it's horrendous.
1: Yeah, I think that's part of the reason that guilt is that you don't want to put that on them. You know, it's we don't want to say that because it almost like it makes them feel uncomfortable. You know, yeah, like oh, I don't yeah. want to. I want to just keep it to myself because then otherwise it's going to mean they're going to make a big deal out of it and da 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 da. Like it's, that's what goes through. I, I think that's what goes through everybody's head. I think everybody has had those thoughts at some point, you know, I've talked about this a lot lately. So many people have had those, those suicidal thoughts in their lives, you know, and I think people are just afraid to talk about, I think it's normal though. I'm normal. I'm realizing it. I think it really is part of our psyche to have these crazy thoughts sometimes and it's Okay right? But it's like, if you need to talk about it, we should like, that's where we got to get to the place of. And that's why conversations like this are important because if you do have those thoughts and it is getting, it, obviously there's there's like thoughts or there's like thoughts where it's taking over. Like you the, the the fact to be able to just say, look, it's okay to bring it up to somebody that we're close to. That's the point where we need to get to as a society. It's like, it's all right. If you're feeling bad, if you're feeling like you're going to do something like that, just talk to somebody no one's going to judge you you know and to get to that place where where everyone's comfortable i think is is where we want to be but i get it like it's i i would imagine i mean you don't want to you probably just didn't want to put your 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 wife in that position either or anybody close
0: yeah right? like and that's I, that, that's the thing you know i think it's you kind of nailed it there in 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 many ways it's almost like the mind of somebody who's struggling at that moment with intense mental illness. Like it's, you're, you're at, you're at the, the absolute limit of your capacity to cope. And you, you almost want to kind of check out quietly. I don't really want to, I don't want to disturb you with my problems and you're not able to see past. What am I leaving behind? Like what I'm actually going to leave behind is, is extraordinarily horrendous for everybody. Yet you don't want to trouble them in that moment, and it's it's that you know I can I can deal with this myself. Um, you know I'll plan it, I'll figure out how to do it. They'll be all better off without me anyway. Um, and 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 if you and if you were just able to speak about it and realize that, I mean I think. Remember reading the statistics on 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 you know men especially it's it is something crazy like sixty to seventy percent of men have had suicidal thoughts throughout their life and I think it's it's quite normal that at times we'll have this feeling but you know in 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 the whole mental health awareness thing it's when that moves to the point of planning it's oh, it's yeah. a whole different ballgame yeah
1: you know sixty to seventy percent I feel like is low though I mean from when we're a kid to now I I mean. I just I find it hard to believe that like every teenager or everybody that's grown up or at some point hasn't had some sort of thought, you know. It's like I think it's the reason people just don't say they have. They say, "Oh no, I've never had that." I. I, It's like it's almost like normal. It's almost normal for a teenager going through stuff to think, "Huh, would it be better without me here?" I mean, it's hard for me to believe that we at at one time all of us didn't, and that's you know, it's. It's crazy to think about, but I mean, I, it's, it's almost, it's, but you're right. I think w- when it becomes a thought, when you start to take it the next, when you start to put more energy into the the planning of it, that's a whole other, that's a whole other path, right? But like the thought itself, it's like, yeah, it's, it's crazy, but it's so common.
0: Yeah. But it's, it's funny when you say that, that the percentage is low, you're probably right. And like as a as a uh, coach and therapist, it never ceases to amaze me that I'll often if I speak to a group of people or or even if I'm speaking with clients on a one-on-one basis, I'm, I'll I'll talk about you know the voices in our head, you know the stories that we tell ourselves. It never ceases to amaze me that some people say, "What voice in your head?" I don't have a voice in my head. So I think it's. We don't realize that we might have these suicidal thoughts, but a lot of people don't even realize that they have a, a voice in their head. They don't realize yeah, that there true. is a narrator who is, you know, sitting there, kind of flicking through the book of their life, telling them how they should feel and how they should behave, and and this mm. autopilot is on all the time. So, mm. I think if you look at those studies around um, men or, or women who who have suicidal thoughts, the big question is. How aware are the people who are answering the question in the context of understanding their mind before they're able to actually speak about how they feel? And most of us are kind of numb or asleep in the context of of what's going on in our mind. And it only becomes, it only comes to the fore when a traumatic event or a significant issue really, boom, blows us into some point of trying to think, I don't feel well or I can't cope or whatever else. But up until that point, we're ignoring so much of what's happening.
1: That's such a great point as well. You're so right. I think it's, when you get to the level of being able to watch your thoughts and be able to be aware, it's a whole other, it's, it's a lot easier to unpack what those things are. So for me to say that, that's only for me to say because I've, wor- I've done the work now and like realized what's actually happening. But you're absolutely right. A lot of people aren't in that place yet where they even know what's going on. It's all grouped together in this chaos, right? Yeah. It's, it's not like I can compartmentalize like different things now because I've learned and it's, and it, it, you're right. I guess it really depends on where people are at and it's, they don't even really realize it. So it's, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to put myself in the position of that because I knew when I, when I was younger, I had no idea about like what was going on. And it wasn't until later on where I started to watch my thoughts and and to get into stillness, which I want to get in with you as well, with Buddhism and everything. It's like, that's when I started to realize what was actually happening, which led to more compassion for myself, right? And when you're like, you can probably speak to this as well, is that when you get still, it allows you to quiet down and observe these things. And you realize you're not your thoughts. You're, You're you. And it's love. It's like it's a powerful energy. And once you get to that point where you can watch these crazy things happen and you understand a little bit more of like how crazy our mind is, you kind of, it's almost like it's kind of, you almost, it becomes humorous at some of the thoughts that you observe. Right. Like walk us through that a little bit and your, your, your kind of your transformation into Buddhism and mindfulness and all this, because, you know, this has been such a huge part of my life and, you know, meditation. And I actually remember my first one of my first books I, I read like a beginner Buddhism book, and this was when I read the Power of Now," like probably 2014 and it was really interesting because it got the wheels moving, you know it got them turning, and you know meditation in my life and just that real mindfulness has been an absolute game changer. Walk us through that with you and how that has been for your life
0: yeah, no, absolutely and and, and look when 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 I was reading up on you and 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 checking out the podcast i could see meditation coming up and 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 also look it brings a great sense of of awareness i think as a as a podcast host it's a fantastic tool because you're able to be comfortable in stillness you're able to be comfortable with the capacity and space to listen to people which is kind of key right um but i I think for me at the point when I, when I arrived there, you know, people who knew me prior to, to, to my journey into, into the whole world of, of a recovery from mental health and, and then B, you know, meditation and Buddhism um, would have never guessed in a million years that I could go there. Um, but I, I love that, that, that expression, you know, in stillness, we find our true self. And, and that for me was, was really what happened. Um, so my, my, my therapist, my, my psychologist, uh, Dr. Pradeep Chadha, um, developed his, his own methodology um, of, of teaching and recovery called Subjective Emotive Brief Therapy. And really what that's about is it's about using imagery, your own mind and your own thoughts with your eyes closed to come to terms with the traumas in your life, get close to them, really lean into them, and actually start to see them for what they are. And and this goes back to this whole idea of, you know, what doesn't kill me will make me stronger. So the sort of recovery part and, and and within my process with my with my therapist was working on on the traumas. So so, you know, losing Joshua being one of them, but then kind of going back and dealing with problems growing up as a kid and dealing with, you know, seeing my, my dad in, in pretty bad shape and the challenges of, of my life growing up and then I lost my, my, my nephew um, um, probably uh, eight years before we lost Joshua and he was only 18 months old. So that was really traumatic to lose my nephew and, and my family would be, would be quite close. And then I was hit with losing my own child, which was, of course, one of my biggest fears after watching my sister lose her um, son. But I needed to just step in and step close and be part of these and start to own the trauma and start to, you know, see the moment of Joshua's death, and part of of the therapy is taking that traumatic memory that's filed in the back of your mind. Where, as I said earlier on, it would reappear at moments when I couldn't distract myself. So, you know, the, the moment on the plane when you can't use headphones or whatever, boom, the traumatic memory comes up, and it's like a flashback out of a movie. But instead, by leaning into it and doing the work which i did in therapy with my eyes closed and bringing the imagery of, of seeing joshua's final moments you're able to to move that traumatic memory and refile it in the same memory bank as you know last christmas or last year's summer holiday so that you can recall it without feeling the stress in the body and you know you mm. you um, you like katole so the pain body is is what this is all about so by by refiling the memory bringing it into the point of, you know, understanding that Joshua's death has happened and I cannot change that. That is part of my life. It's part of my being, but equally it can't do any more to me now than it did to me when he died 10 years ago. So I must be able to try and come close to it and see it for what it is. And the freedom that that started to bring was incredible. And Then I went through the other traumatic memories and other issues in my life that had cultivated this intense anxiety, which brought me to the point of feeling like suicidal. And that was a beautiful experience. And and all the way through that, I was learning to meditate. So whilst you're in therapy, the other part of the process is that you must be meditating every day. So you start with small little processes to teach you how to meditate. So when you're in therapy and you're doing the hard work, it's akin to if therapy is, you know, in a baseball analogy, and you're in batting practice, you're in therapy for an hour where you're getting a lot of work around how to hold a bat, how to position your feet, how to move your body properly. But when you're outside of therapy, you've got to still keep hitting the ball yourself. So the whole idea of the meditation along with the therapy is that you're doing the work on yourself every single day so that when you're back in therapy and you're doing the deep work for an hour, it's not just once every two weeks. You're actually slowly working on yourself. You know, you're slowly just deeping, you know, stepping inside yourself, unwinding, unraveling, releasing the pain body. Um, so we we did that for, for three months and my life changed. And I found meditation and I moved on a on a path of spirituality and I started to discover Buddhism and went on some incredible retreats and Trained with with Zen um, uh, masters in in Buddhism, and then and then trained in master training with Yamabushi um, monks in in Japan, and wow. all of this was going on for me. And but I also knew I needed to get out of financial services. I needed to get out of private equity. I needed to change my life. So I'd said to my to my my therapist at the time that I wanted him to become my teacher. So I became his novice in this whole world of subjective emotive brief therapy. And I said, look, this is what I want to do. I, w- I want you to show me how you've helped me because this is mind-blowing. Um, and uh, I studied with him for two years and then rocked up in a board meeting and told my, my shareholders and my board that I was selling. I wanted out. And, and, um, and they all thought I was going to go and set up a competitor. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going to go and become a therapist and a coach. Wow. <laughs>
1: What did they, what did they say when you decided to get out? Like, what was the reaction? Did you tell them you're going to be like, did you tell them what you were doing or did you just say, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. I got other plans. How did, how did that work?
0: Yeah, I did. I, I, I told them, um, you you know, one of, one of my board members, um, and, and a shareholder was a really good friend of mine. We're still friends now. Um, but for everybody at that moment, it was a challenge. You know, I'd stop, I I stopped drinking alcohol, um, four years ago. Um, I, I found Buddhism and this was, this was two years after my therapy, but I found Buddhism. I stopped drinking alcohol. I became a vegan. Um, you know, I was meditating every day. I found cold water swimming all the way throughout the year. So I'm like so far removed away from the world that they all lived, which was, you know, you know champagne and 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 you know foie gras and and yeah. you know truffles and all that kind of stuff right i'm i'm a million <laughs> yeah. miles from it um so it was jarring for everybody who was involved in the business and everybody who was involved with me but you know as as time has gone on we're we're all still friends and you know some of them have faced challenges and they've lost loved ones along the way and 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 eventually some people people who 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 think you're a complete lunatic on the back of you know not drinking alcohol finding buddhism talking about spirituality meditating every day of the week swimming in cold water being vegan but then everybody has their events you know and and, and you know this i mean you know the university of adversity people think that they can escape it but it comes for everybody yeah so you know and then and then you start to think oh yeah what about that guy who went through all that stuff and and, and lost his son and how do they pull this shit together? Yeah. Uh, maybe I should go back and check that out. That is so true.
1: People will watch. People will judge. They'll ridicule. And they'll be the ones that will be your biggest fans later when they need. Because it's coming for them. You're right. It's coming for them. And if you think about how crazy that is, thinking that connecting and doing Buddhism and you know things that have been thousand-year-old practices and connecting with nature, people think that's crazy yet like drinking a poison (laughs) that makes you pretty much like goof around and and dance around that that really desensitizes all your feelings and then eating things that people are just unconscious and doing all these behaviors is normal smoking cigarettes this like craziness drinking like coca-cola like think how crazy that is really think about some of the activities that people do that are normal like it's insane. I think about it too. I, I spent so many years in the bars, and you know, I I'm I, I've I've been you know back and forth off the sober train for a while, and it's been something that's challenged me. But if you think about a room full of people drinking, like, and what is actually going on there, and you were looking down on us humans on the Earth, that would be such a ridiculous thing to see. Like the stuff that we do as humans is so insanely ridiculous yet it's normalized and in somebody like yourself that's connecting to something that is so deep spiritual to nature to being conscious about how you eat is considered is considered like a crazy act like it's 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 everything is so backwards like it blows my mind it blows my mind
0: yeah. it's but, but you know, the people who are who are drinking the Coca Cola, who are you know, um, immersing themselves in food or or alcohol, or you know, certainly something I've come across a lot in in the last few years um, working with clients in therapy is is pornography, online pornography. You know, it's it's Big really time. taken off that people are just, you know, anything that you can that you can go to to get dopamine hits that allow you to not have to you know. Face into who you are, at the core of your being, so alcohol, drugs, pornography, gambling, food sex it 's all there right and the the harsh reality of wellness you know and wellness always sounds like a kind of a super soft, cuddly kind of thing, and and one of the things i've i 've learned and, and especially spending time with with um the yamabushi who. Who are a, kind of a derivative of of the samurai um, in in a um, remote part of Japan in, in the Shonai Mountains. And when I did my master training with with the Yamabushi, it was harsh. Mm. We were we were doing spiritual work, but in extreme circumstances. And they believe that the the the, the nature of Of the human being and healing is just found within nature you know it's it's the harmony of 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 the interconnection of of us as a human being and realizing that you know within within the sense of of you know this Gaia the world as it is is one being organism and when we when we move away from this sense of the importance of me and and accept that the tree is as important as I am as is the flowers and and the squirrels there's a, there's a release but we do this training in an incredibly intense way and what they're really teaching us is that the path to good health to wellness is consistency in the context of showing up for yourself every day and having those practices so you know meditation is is hard right you know it's hard to 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 get into and it's hard to to sustain but it's 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 a cornerstone of my life but then it's you know right after that I'm I'm in the cold water and I'm swimming and then I'm exercising every day and I'm either in kickboxing classes or I'm doing pilates or I'm running i know that the whole idea of of sustaining this being is not just one thing and sleep massively important so we 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 start to realize that that wellness is not some kind of soft and fluffy thing like go to a yoga class once a week and you're going to feel okay we have a responsibility to take ownership of our lives, we have to become our own leaders because there's nobody else coming to save us, right? This is our life. We have to step up and take control, be our own leaders, and find the pathway out, and then put those building blocks together. And you know, I know when I've heard you um, speaking before, Lance, you know, you, you talk about this too. But it's it's not just one thing that that keeps us in good shape.
1: No. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a bunch of things. Yeah. You're totally right. And you, know, the consistency, and I've heard you say that a couple of times now is so important, right. especially with meditation, would you say that is more important every, like, cause some people will meditate. I'll even do it myself. And this is a prime example. I'll meditate a half an hour. I love a half an hour, but then I'll miss a day. And then, you know, I won't do it and I'll get out of the rhythm. What is more important doing five minutes consistently every day or doing a half an hour one day and then, you know, missing a day and then maybe doing it like what would you say that every single day? And I know the answer is going to be more powerful than than like trying to do these big meditations and missing a day.
0: Yeah, you know, like <laughs> yeah. he, the answer to every question in the context of personal development is always the toughest one, right? <laughs> yeah, that's you know, so true. <laughs> we all really kind of want the blue pill that's going to fix everything, or you know, how do I get the Kool Aid and that's just going to fix me? The 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 reality of of sustaining ourselves. My mantra is: wake up, show up for yourself for every day, do the work every day, and then repeat it the next day. You know, and it's and and, and that sounds harsh, but it's also just doing stuff that you enjoy. So, you know, enjoy your sport, enjoy your, you know, your swimming, if you like it, enjoy your meditation, find all these things that are part of it. But the studies that we have, and, and you know, thankfully, through the work of, of the likes of Jon Kabat-Zinn, who created Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, which becomes this global um, school of meditation, means that we have some really great clinical studies on the benefits of meditation. And the one thing that comes up consistently in these studies, and there was one study, I think it was Oxford University carried out a study of, of, um, um, physicians. I think they were, they were um, in the final year of med school and they, they carried out a study to identify the benefits of five minutes of meditation a day. And they could already show on, on the MRI scans, the improvement of their well being and the feedback questionnaires. So it's what I would always say to people is don't, don't set the bar high. You know, it's like, people decide they want to they go running, right? I know what I'm going to do. I want to run 15 miles. You know, start with a mile. And mm-hmm. if you want to learn how to meditate, find a way to do it. Um, you know, even find a, a local class. Mindfulness-based stress reduction is a great resource that people will find in their locality anywhere around the world. But find a way and a pathway towards it um, and start slow. Don't, don't, you know, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Don't start with, you know, I'm going to be on top of a mountain and um, meditating as the sun sets. Do it small, ideally start in the morning. Um, James Clear is a great book. You've probably read it called Habit Stacking. Um, I love that idea and I use that a lot with my own clients and, and, and the courses that I put together. And I always say to people, meditate after you brush your teeth. You know, we know from the neuroscience that the 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 malin and the synapses in the brain are already there for us to brush our teeth so put a new habit on the back of an old habit so when you start meditating right after you brush your teeth and you can stick a little postie on your on your mirror and in the bathroom saying meditate so you're kind of brushing out oh yeah i got to do that 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 habit stacking means that the synapses form quicker so the meditation steps in quicker and then it also brings on the analogy for me that i work with people on and i say by doing that within within kind of six eight ten weeks of consistently maintaining it you get the same sensation at three o'clock in the day if you haven't brushed your teeth you know you've got that kind of furry feeling across the front of your teeth you start to get a furry feeling across the front of your brain because you think well, i didn't meditate today so it, it, it really has so many great connections to start it in the morning time and build it within an established habit.
1: Yeah, it's, I, I love that. It's interesting to be able to stack those habits in a way that works for us. Sometimes the, simple, the simplicity is what matters, you know, and we try to overcomplicate it. You know, I wanted to ask you as well, is that I've talked about nutrition on here a lot. and you're you're a big proponent of the vegan diet and you obviously you look very healthy and you you have very active so i'm fascinated it's a good
0: filter on the camera well uh,
1: no you like you know this is the thing you know and i i love to see and i know i know um you're friends with rich roll and he thrives on this diet and i love hearing the different stories you know i'm and and how have you been like how was that more of a spiritual thing change for your diet or is that, do you physically, do you, do you, how do you feel on it and how has that changed your direction as far as, you know, mind, body, spirit, everything? Because I, I haven't, I haven't discussed this lately in a while. There's been a lot of other conversations about people that are for the meat and all that. So I love to talk about the opposite side of it because I, I, I'm always just so curious, right? So walk us through how that's been for you as well
0: sure um so look for me i grew up in in ireland and and meat and dairy is just so important i mean even even yeah. probably more so than than you know you you would have in 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 many other countries in europe yeah um and for me to go vegan I, I i couldn't possibly even comprehend that that would have ever happened um but i i ended up on on a retreat with with rich roll and and his wife julie um and i i'd already started to play around with the idea of, of, of less meat. And really I was, this was kind of five years ago, I was training a lot. I was trying to get my body, um, firmer and healthier and stronger and all that kind of stuff. And, and I started to stumble into this whole idea of, of, you know, the, the recovery of your muscles and, and, um, post-workout stuff can feel better by removing anything that's got toxins. So, so I started to cut a lot of stuff out. And, um, and then I did some, um, some allergy tests and I discovered that I was allergic to dairy and I was allergic to, to eggs. So I cut them out of my diet and then all of a sudden you take out dairy and eggs and you're kind of heading down that path anyway. So I took out meat and probably within kind of, uh, 10 to 14 days after that, I don't know, I, I felt different. And I have no problem with people who eat meat at all, and I certainly wasn't doing it at that moment in time out of any sense of of you know a spiritual sense. And I was only really discovering Buddhism in in its in its purest sense at that moment too. And a lot of Buddhists, you know, are are you know playing around with vegetarianism and everything else. You don't have to become vegan, but. I started to really experiment a lot around the neuroscience, the nutrition, everything that I was building for what I wanted to work with clients and and, on the coaching front and speaking front, I wanted to really cultivate the best of myself that I could really then talk to other people about and nutrition became huge. So I then went full tilt, um, into, into veganism. Um, and I started to, to lose weight. Um, my skin changed, my complexion improved, people were, were actively noticing it, um, and I felt more alive and more energetic. And then I developed this huge empathy over the course of the next few months for, for animals and for the nature of what we're doing to the planet. And then as I went on to study with, with the Yamabushi in, in Japan, and I, and I started to really connect into this sense of, of nature and, and our the, the, our responsibility to everything around us. It all, it all had a big interplay, but principally it was just simply around: can I can I run faster? Will it help my fitness? And 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 will I recover quicker from injury? And and it ticked all those boxes. So so I was I was full on, and I've always been. You know, I talked about my career in the past. Once I decide to do something, I'm I'm kind of full tilt into it, and let's see how this really goes. Like let's really go for it, um, and 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 dial it up to a hundred percent. And um, so I did that with with. But vegan lifestyle, you know, plant-based living, and you know, veganism—it's—it's it's a polarizing word. You know, people—people people see it in in many different ways. But really, for me, it was a case of just taking care of myself from a nutritional standpoint. Um, and my wife went on the same journey, and then she went off and became a a nutritional expert in plant-based um, food and then train as a, as a vegan chef. So that was quite cool too. So we yeah. were, we were taking care of from a food perspective.
1: Mm. Yeah. I, I, I love it. I find it very interesting, you know, because I think diet and nutrition is such a personal experience. I think everyone, it's, everyone is different. And I think that's the, that's the game too, the journey. It's like, you got to try it all. You got to figure out, you know what feels right to you you know what you know spiritually physically all of it i think it's and and nobody can really tell anybody how that is for them and i'm learning that with myself it's like everybody can say don't do this don't do that but until you feel it yourself and understand what it's like it's hard to understand the truth of it
0: right yeah yeah and, uh, and like you know if uh- like if you look at Rich and Rich's podcast and and you know Rich and Julia are, are really dear friends of mine yeah and i think so much of rich often gets caught into this whole idea of of him being vegan but you look at his podcast and the and the diversity of people <laughs> it's that he has on there it's unbelievable it's unbelievable right so you know he's okay he's he not Joe a Robin, high. It, oh, he's, his, get, he's his, getting there he's getting there right it's but yet it's it's what what actually was the thing that catapulted him into the world. Sometimes it starts to become his Achilles heel because we live in this polarized society. You know, you're 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 pro Trump, you're anti Trump, yeah. you're pro mask, you're anti mask, you're pro vegan, you're anti vegan. We we all just want to take a camp, and then once you're in that camp, everybody's in the other camp. They're so wrong.
1: Yeah, it's crazy, man. I know that's exactly what happens. And that's why I really want to stay neutral with everything. I like to be curious. I like to learn from people. I'm like, Hey, like you may do well with this. You may not. But like, for me, I've fallen into that thing too, where we want to, we want to talk to more people that align with what we believe, you know, our confirmation bias. It's like, Oh no, I want to unfollow everybody that doesn't believe what I believe. That is dangerous. We need to lear- totally. challenge our beliefs. We need to challenge people. Like, somebody that thinks complete opposite, I want to learn about that. I want to know why do you think like that? That's interesting because you are a human with an opinion and a story and you think like that. So there's a reason and that's interesting to me. And like, I think that's where we need to be as, as, a, as human beings is curious and accepting for people because the minute we want to like shut down and cancel everybody because they have a different opinion – is where this is where this all is so is unfolds you're right like vegan meat you know trump biden like it's just ridiculous it's it's divides and it's like everybody wants to be part of the side and then turn it into a bully and it's like it's like our own teenager self becoming bullies again it's like so many so many hurt children, essentially. It's our it's our inner child. So many people are hurt on the on the playground and they just want to bully the other kid. That's what it is. It's we're all just adults or just grown up kids. It's like it's totally. so toxic. And and you're right. And I think it's just I always want to stay really like curious and 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 accepting of people because everybody has a different opinion on everything. And it's not up to us to choose what's right or wrong. It's just up to us to be who we are and our truth. And I guess when people see that, they decide just by looking at you and seeing your life that they want to have more of that. It's like just being your truth and yourself is what really makes people want to change, right? It's standing in your power.
0: I think it's getting people not to want to be like me or like you or like Rich Roll or getting people to, to just get to a point where they can where they can sit with themselves in a quiet room for twenty minutes and, and and just journal out, you know, where is my life right now? What's 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 working well and what's not working so well? And then within the what's not working so well stuff, what work could I do in myself? You know, what what parts of this could I change? And especially if that's the voices in our heads, you know, the the, the negative self-talk that we're delivering to ourselves i'm not good enough i'm not fast enough i'm not attractive enough i'll never be that person i'll never get that job and and starting to realize that that voice isn't you and you have got the capacity to change that that sound that voice you know it's 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 a you know it's 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 a constant record that's playing over and over again like a, a, a you know Record. I'm so old now, but you know, like it's an MP3. It's just this, <laughs> you know, recurring thing that's happening, and you and you just got to get in there and change it. So identifying things that you can do in your life is the first step, and then planning around it. And it's not going to be easy, but you know, doing it in small bites. How do I eat an elephant one bite at a time? The value and the output and the end game is there for you, um, and. For me, I live uh, a, a life that's fulfilled. I don't have any regrets that Joshua died because I couldn't control that. I have hugely fond memories of the year that we had together. I have great love for my family. I still have to challenge myself. I still have to deal with myself all the time. I'm a very driven, determined person, so I have to kind of slow down a little bit. You know, Mel Robbins has that, you know that um, 54321 go. When we're caught in procrastination. For people who are like A-type personalities, it can be the other side. And I always say to my wife, I have 54321 slow. You know, I've got to like not go full on into everything all the time and actually rein myself in. So trying to understand the nature of the beast within us. You know, we're we're all kind of in this autopilot and we've been in this body for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, whenever whenever the moment comes when you think I'm going to journal, I'm going to think about what's going on. Maybe I need to get a coach or a therapist or take take some lessons or whatever it is that connects me into my truest self. When you do that, you also then have to learn about your triggers and understand what it is that's going to lead you down the darker paths and just create awareness, you know. That's that's the key whether it's food or life or you know nutrition or your mind whatever it is it's awareness become aware of who you are and where you want to go and then life is whatever you want it to be from that point
1: i love it how to understand the nature of the beast is that what you said that's yeah that's that's exactly what it is because it's all different and until you understand your own beast the nature of your own beast you're gonna be constantly trying to chase the thing and do the thing and compare yourself. And yeah, no, I love it. Man, this was awesome. Where where can we where can everybody find you and check you out if they want to learn more about your work and what you're up to?
0: Sure. Um so you can find me at uh Justincaffrey.com, c a w f r e y dot com. Um, and I'm just putting up a new um course, um, which is which is a twenty-one day meditation challenge that's going to go up there for people to join in so it's there's initial couple of lessons around the psychology the neuroscience the philosophy and then every day um there is um a five minute lesson and then a meditation attached to that so i want to try and encourage more people to just tap into this you know people have really embraced the whole idea of mindfulness and meditation during covid so you can find me and find that stuff on there I'm also on on Instagram at Justin Caffrey and I do a whole lot of stuff on LinkedIn as well. So I talk about mental health and things on LinkedIn that people don't really look at or or consider. So you find me over there, Justin Caffrey too. So I share a whole bunch of stuff um, um, for free and there's a whole bunch of meditations for free on my YouTube channel. So I really try and push out as much resources as I can um, so that some people will just take a little bit of it and find their own journey and find somebody to help them. Um, But, you know, I think as we spoke at the very start, Lance, most importantly, for everybody who's listening who may be struggling a little bit, just remember, you know, you're not alone. You're not the first person to have a negative thought and you certainly won't be the last. But find a resource, speak to somebody who you love um, and communicate it. Don't hold it in. Please don't hold it in.
1: Love it. And we'll make sure all that's in the show notes. Everything's clear for people to find you. LinkedIn is such an untapped place. And I I love that you're you're kind of exploring that further as well because that's something that I wanna also dive into. I feel like because of the business world of LinkedIn, initially it was all just really just business stuff but business is life we're humans we need to show the human side of business which when you get better at this other side all the the you know the meditations and you know uh, the yogas and the the softer energies like the feminine side you become better at your business like you become better at what you're doing so it's essential everybody in business in the corporate world they're going to be better at what they do when they have these practices like that's 100%. that's the key that's like the secret potion the secret formula to becoming the best at what you actually want to do is being able to have those other those other things that you're working on in the background it's just going to make you a more more well-rounded human i mean isn't that what we want at the end of the day
0: totally and it's and it's funny you know linkedin a lot of what i post on linkedin is um uh from from the sea i live right beside the sea in ireland and in the winter i'm swimming in the sea i've got my phone in the water it's freezing cold, it's sunrise, um, the air temperature's freezing, the water's freezing, and I'm talking to camera about mental health. And people always remember, it's that weird, crazy guy who's <laughs> talking to his phone. And, and awesome. all I want to do is just trigger people to go, oh, yeah, he's talking about mental health. You know, We've just got to shake up the conversation and get people to think about it because everybody needs help. Nobody is out there who doesn't need help. Um, and the conversation opens up and then, you know, we hopefully catch a few people along the way before, before they go down the dark path. Mm, absolutely.
1: Man, thank you so much. Keep doing what you're doing. This is awesome. It's so great to chat with you and you know, go Thanks. deep with your story and just to hear that you know, what is possible when we actually want to change our lives and, and you know when we're on that journey of self-discovery. It never ends, but there's always got to be that starting point. And thank you for you know, creating this path so that people can follow and do the same.
0: Thank you, thanks, Lance. Thanks so much for giving me the opportunity to talk as well. It's been it's been a real pleasure. Thanks, uh, man.
1: Absolute pleasure, Justin. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. If you guys, if that resonated with you and you feel you somebody could hear it, please share it with a friend. Please do your part to get it to the people that need it. And as well, subscribe on the platform you're at. If it's on Apple, subscribe. YouTube, subscribe. If you're on Spotify, follow. Again, this make sure that the episodes are downloaded into your platform, so you don't have to think about it. And you guys, if you got value from that, please leave us a review on Apple. It's greatly appreciated. Helps spike the ranking of the show and gets and potentially gets into more lives. So, you guys, I hope you enjoyed that. And make sure to follow Justin. All of his stuff is in the show notes. And if you're interested in working with him as well, it's all in there. Have an amazing day, everybody. Catch you next time.